Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the CDC. Thanks for joining us here today. We're excited about our episode and we are going to get right into it. Um, we're joined today by Sally Goldenberg, who now covers real estate and housing for Politico New York. Welcome, Sally. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Sally's a veteran of covering city and state politics, really, uh, and now doing a lot of really interesting stories about affordable housing, housing, real estate. Um, so you should find her work at Politico New York, sign up for her newsletter. Right. <laughs> um, She's and, a hero to those of us who cover these issues with that newsletter every morning. Yeah, <laughs> and really a budget expert, which, you know, melds some, some interests of us here, obviously, on the podcast. Um, so we're really happy to have Sally here, and before we jump into conversation with her, Maria has today's data point. The data point is four, the number of neighborhood rezonings that have been passed under Mayor de Blasio. The rezonings establish new land use rules for a certain geographic area to allow more housing, including some affordable housing, and usher in a variety of community enhancements that vary somewhat from rezoning plan to plan, but often include things like investments in school seats, parkland, transportation infrastructure, NYCHA, etc. Early into the first term, Mayor de Blasio and his administration developed a list of about a dozen neighborhoods to rezone as part of his affordable housing and community development plans. These plans are often controversial and the subject of significant negotiation among local residents, community leaders, the borough president, the local council member, and the administration. And they can be costly, with hundreds of millions of dollars being put into neighborhood enhancements and subsidized housing. Only four rezonings have passed so far, East New York, downtown Far Rockaway, East Harlem, and the Jerome Avenue corridor in the Bronx. Other potential rezonings are on the docket as the mayor moves further into term two. And here to discuss all of this is Sally. Welcome. Hi. So we'll discuss the rezonings and a lot more that uh, that co- you cover. But um, on the rezonings here, the, there's been four that have gone through. How do you sort of capture what's happened so far under de Blasio? Are these, um, how significant are these? How behind in their plan are they? You know, what sort of stands out to you at this point? Um, I think both are true. I think they are significant, and I think they are happening pretty slowly. Um, the reason the rezonings are kind of uh, have a lot of importance is that the mayor and his team want to create a lot more low-cost, middle-cost, you know, rent-regulated housing. Um, and to do that, you can have these, like, one-off private applications, and you're sort of relying on the private market to come to you and say, you know, we see an opportunity here, we want to rezone. And because of policies they've put in place, when they rezone, now they have to create some rent-regulated housing. Uh, But when they rezone a whole neighborhood, that policy that calls for low- and middle-income housing applies to that entire area they've rezoned. It's called mandatory inclusionary housing. So what they're doing is they're, they're kind of amplifying their policy, and they're putting it in place in more than just one area. Um, So they are significant in that regard. They can create quickly, well, not quickly, but they can create in kind of one fell swoop a guarantee of more housing. Um, I think they're slow because it's really hard to convince local government that it's a good idea to develop their neighborhood. You know, residents are hesitant about development for a lot of reasons. Um, Local community boards have a say in this. You know, the process is very local heavy and... um, ultimately it's up to the city council and those members they have to run for office and they have to face their community and explain why they allowed that big tower or you know whatever it is and 
I think you see in a lot of areas that are poor and have been underinvested, they're sort of afraid of like, what does growth mean? Does it mean that there's going to be a really fancy coffee shop and expensive housing and I won't be able to afford to live here anymore? And that's when you hear... Gentrification by... Yeah. Yeah. And that that has driven a lot of fears, yeah. And then on the other hand, you see like right now there's a proposal to rezone downtown Brooklyn, Eighty, it's called 80 Flatbush. It would be like a very significantly, um, a significant size project. And there's a lot of opposition and that's a wealthy area. It's a whiter area. And there you hear, you know, it's more about height, density, infrastructure. It's different concerns, different opposition points. Nonetheless, you're still, like, putting this in the hands of a local council member. So what's the administration's strategy been for each of these? Is it different? I mean, is it coming? Is it driven by the administration? Is it collaborative with the council member? I mean, I remember Melissa Mark Viverito in particular had a plan that she kind of brought people in that district together to, you know, convene and discuss and develop and sort of use that as the, the basis for moving forward. So, you know, to what extent is the administration driving this process? To what extent is it being derailed or shaped by council members? How is it working? Is it the same? Is it different in these districts? I think it starts with the administration, and I think the council has a lot of power in this. So they started with East New York. That had been studied under the Bloomberg administration. And, you know, I don't know how much community outreach they did early on. They did some for sure. There were definitely you know, meetings and public hearings beyond what's just, you know, required in the land use process. But nevertheless, the community felt like they hadn't been spoken to. um, And you heard a lot of people at these meetings say, you know, they felt like their concerns hadn't been taken into account. And it did ultimately get passed, but that was a really tough one. And the council member there did support it. Rafael uh, Espinal did support it. So, you know, there even with the support of the council member, I think that was hard. And basically, in the end, the administration had to spend a ton of money for infrastructure, parks, schools, roads, you know, you name it, lower-cost housing to meet the needs and the require and the wishes of the community. And then I think downtown Far Rockaway, the council member there was pretty much on board, and that happened probably the most seamlessly. Um, Melissa Mark Viverito, as you say, was definitely involved. She sort of directed her own planning process in her community. Um, and she kind of tangled with the administration quite a bit at the end over the building heights. But ultimately, you know, they, they got it passed together. So, you know, it's kind of a mix. And as you said, I mean, in East New York is probably where the administration put the most money uh, as, as part of the yeah. neighborhood plan. But that's part of these negotiations, as we indicated in the opening. It's what are the new land use rules going to be in whatever swath area it is, yeah. also determining what that swath is, and right. then also what's the big chunk of money and where is it going, and they have the Neighborhood Development Fund or, or yeah. you know, whatever it's exactly called um, that I think they started with about a billion dollars yes. in and spent quite a bit of it on East New York. Um, and that's that's part of the negotiations is projecting, okay, we're bringing more people into this area because we're raising what you can build. We're mm-hmm. trying to add housing, add density. Some of it, much of it depends, you know, under affordable auspices. Um, but then when you bring more people into an area, <laughs> are there school seats for the yeah. kids? Are Is the transportation infrastructure there? Do people have open space um, and things like that? And you get into the nitty-gritty of 
those negotiations and city planning, really. Right. Yeah. Um, so what uh, what hasn't gone through? I mean, you know, you had a, a maybe it was a year ago already, but I it really sticks out to me. You had an article where you looked at ones that had gone through, ones that had been derailed on their initial list. You know, there's some of these. They've had these four go through, but some of them um, haven't, and yeah. some either have been paused or seem to be off the table. What are a couple examples? Um, flushing, I think they they say it's not dead, but they definitely pulled it off the table, and they haven't put it back on the table, is my understanding. There were a lot of concerns there about, you know, I don't remember all of them, something about the flight path, um, and I think Tony Avella in the state Senate who represents that area was putting pressure on, you know, the local politicians by virtue of his own kind of outspoken opposition against it. So they put that one at least on the back burner. I heard it's not coming back, but, you know, they say it might. Um, Bay Street Carter on Staten Island, on the north shore of Staten Island, that also seems to be, if not dead, certainly backburnered. Uh, they had a scoping hearing on, you know, like a public hearing on that. I think in the summer of 2016, and here we are in spring of 2018, and nothing's happened. It almost seems like that one, the borough president there, has sort of really put his yes. foot down. And I don't know that the council members embraced it. I mean, I think they didn't want to stick her, Debbie Rose, with a difficult rezoning ahead of her primary last year. Um, but, you know, she won her primary, and now it's May, and... As far as I know, that has, you know nothing's really happened there. But you're right; the borough president was very concerned about the infrastructure, infrastructure. parking, and density. Yeah. You know, lots of local concerns always. Right. And so, what do we think are move? What What are some of the ones that are coming up? What should well, we look next at week next? there's a public hearing um, on the Inwood rezoning. So I suspect that one is the next one to come. You know, down the pike. Um, I think it's either city planning or the mayor's office of environmental um, MOEC. I forget what it stands for. One of them is going to have a hearing on Wednesday on it. And that's probably, I would suspect, going to be a little bit of a tough one because the borough president in Manhattan is so active on land use. Um, so I think Andy Donis Rodriguez, Andy local council member, is kind of a wild card, if I may. Uh, yeah, I mean, know, he actually things. was responsible for. Uh, putting an end to one of the early private applications under mandatory inclusionary housing by saying he wouldn't support it. Um, so, yeah, between the two of Could them, I think that's going to be a tough one. Yeah. And the, the issue there probably will be similar to East New York in terms of the how deep does the affordability go yeah. on this, right? And, you know, part of the, the tension here is that the city needs new housing supply at all income brackets, right? We just need to bring more supply on. You know, we have but looked predominantly at, lower income, right? And we, you know, we've looked about at this in the past and benchmarked the city to other cities. And in terms of the rate of housing units coming on, just as a rate, but also sheer numbers of units, we are way below other big yeah. cities. And you know, of course, there are challenges here, and one of them is cost. Um, but even so, I mean, the, the, the administration, I think, wants to just spur as many market rate units as well oh, as yeah. possible. Um, but then the tension comes in the form of, well, so in, you know, the housing that you are subsidizing, trying to spur through these rezonings, trying to, you know, devote city capital to, at what level are you, you know, what level are you subsidizing for what income bands? Right. And this goes back to one of the biggest questions in all these rezonings and the mayor's whole housing plan is... Is it about the number of units, or is it about the depth of the subsidies and doing more low-income units but fewer units overall? 
they've seemed to mostly go for the more units overall, yeah. right? I, I mean, mean, they did a shift in their housing plan last year. Is it last year? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was last year. They added, I think, $2 billion, yeah. $1.9 billion to make 10,000 units lower income, you know, available to lower income right, people. Right, so we should say the housing plan started as 200,000 units, Over right? 10 years. Over 10 years. Over 10 years, that's right. And then they added the 1.9 to go further on the subsidy for 10,000 of these units. Yes. And now we have the third iteration of the plan, <laughs> right. which is? Yes. Yeah, so now it is a 300,000 unit goal over 12 years. So what they did was, you know, they kind of truncated the first part of it, and then they added to the goal and spread it out. So now it's a goal of 300,000 over 12 years. Um, as of the end of last year, I think they had about 85,000 units financed. And this is? newly built and preserved, preserved. Mm -hmm. and it's always important to note, you know, the majority are actually preserved. Yes, you know, right. and, and so it's the administration making deals, everything from Stuyvesant Town to much smaller That's right. <laughs> uh, properties where they're incentivizing, they're working with landlords to reestablish. Yeah, the they're extending like a regulatory agreement. Yeah. And from my, you know, from my sense of things, there's nothing wrong with them recalibrating as they go, right? I mean, is there is that something you see as a problem? I mean, it depends what it is right. and when I mean, and how so, often. So, you know, to put it in a little bit of context, right, Bloomberg also did major rezonings of the city. He had a bit of a difficult approach, but I think he rezoned like two-thirds of the city, right? Also had a very, very ambitious housing plan um, over his tenure where, you know, 165,000 units came online during that time. And then, you know, Mayor de Blasio made this his priority and said, we're going to do even more than that. Okay, so, you know, it is it is moving along, right? It, they've got, you know, 80,000 some units, as you said, done. Um, but is it going to solve the problem? Is it even making a dent in the problem? Um, I don't think so. You know, the 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 share of the very um, those with at extremely low incomes and very low incomes as defined by federal housing standards the share of those folks that are extremely severely rent burdened that's you know 50% of income more is so high right that you know I, I don't think you can say the city can build to support all those folks you know there's an income part of these equation that you have to think about and address too um, and it might mean other kinds of housing solutions that are not sort of more of the same because mm -hmm. I don't, you know, what's your take on this, right? Isn't the sort of de Blasio plan really a lot like the Bloomberg housing plan in terms of the tools and approaches? Yeah, I mean, the difference, I guess, is that they have the mandatory inclusionary right. housing. Right. Um, but you're right. I mean, if you look at it is hard to chip away at the problem because there is such a severe housing shortage. The vacancy rate is about three and a half percent. Anything under five percent is, you know, deemed a housing emergency, and the vacancy rate goes down as income brackets go down. So, in other words, there's, you know, there's plenty of luxury housing. There's right. not a lot of housing for mar people who earn kind of market rate uh, salaries that could command market rate rents, but. Where there's really a shortage is low-income people, and as they build more, more people are coming, right. and also more people are not making more money. Right. So that's it part is, of the issue. I mean, there's just a lot of people continuing to move to the city, and the mayor has lately been talking a lot about we're going to hit nine million. We're going to hit nine yeah, million. Right. You know, that's a. Combination. I guess the question is, do you need to spend city resources building for the people who are going to come here and work at, you know, maybe Amazon or right. wherever and make 80000 90000 Do we need the city, is it justifiable for the city to spend taxpayer resources on that? They'll build more units, 
but is that where the need is? And you can definitely argue there is a need there. There's just inarguably, I would say, a greater need for people who make a lot less than that. So that's, I mean, that, and again, I mean, and that's I the crux of the whole debate. That's, that is right. it. And he and the mayor has been steadfast from the beginning saying we need to create some sort of subsidy program to also ensure there's more middle class housing, that we need some, um, yeah. you know, some rents capped for middle class folks that, that that should not be up to just the market. And that's. Well, you know, you have a very, yeah, I mean, it is controversial for sure. On the one hand, those market rate units subsidize the lower cost units because unless the city just wants to spend boatloads of cash and they're already spending a ton of cash on this housing plan, you have to incentivize developers to build, uh, you know, apartments that are not going to earn them much money in rent with market rate units and a rezoning, which is something they wouldn't otherwise have. Um, So, you know, it's, it is, it is a numbers game. Right. The, Somebody's got to pay. It's either the other renters in the building who now have higher rents to cross-subsidize or it's the city putting the subsidy or right. some combination but of both. But now that 421A is back and called something else, but I think everyone still calls it 421A, that's an as-of-right you know, tax break for people to build rental. And it's a pretty generous tax break yes. compared to what it had been earlier with some new requirements for sure uh, for affordable housing. But I think... You know that will take care. That will incentivize rental housing, and it can't all be luxury. There's not a market for that. Right. So you know. Do we do so? The 428 program. This is done through state law, but mm-hmm. um, do we have any sense if the renewed? You know, it, it had elapsed for well over a year. A year and a half. Yeah. yeah. Do we have a sense if the new 428 has helped spur? You know, are there are there? Do we know if there's applications in the in process? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I mean, I think the permit levels. I would have to check like mm-hmm. the DOB permit levels. I think that it probably has, but I don't know for sure. And there was such a spurry of activity right before it, it expired. In, right? yeah. yeah, so that because you know yeah, the there was a pipeline while it right. dried up. There were sure. you know huge volume of applications, and I think that's got to prove it is moving through the pipeline, as Sally said. Right. So for that year and a half. It was almost as if it still existed, or you know, yeah. sort of. Yeah. Um, so uh, we do want to move a, a little bit more to the larger housing plan, but on the rezonings, you mentioned Inwood. Um, pe- we should also be watching out for things happening in Gowanus, mm-hmm. in Bushwick. Um, you listed maybe Long Island City, and now there's some interesting discussion. This isn't exactly a neighborhood rezoning, but a, a renewed look at Sunnyside Yard. Right. It's almost like building a new neighborhood. <laughs> so the de Blasio administration has an idea to deck over, you know, Sunnyside Yard is a really large, I think it's a 180-acre piece of land. Amtrak, MTA, and New Jersey Transit all use it. Trains run through there. They maintain trains. They store trains. Um, so the idea would be to deck it over and build I, I, like a mini a neighborhood, like a neighborhood, yeah, a really a new neighborhood. I mean, a feasibility study they put out last year said it could yield, I think, up to twenty four thousand new housing units, and something like ten or more schools, wow. close to a million square feet of retail, I think, in commercial yeah. space. I mean, just to put it in context for people, it's many times the size of Hudson Yards. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of the same model of decking it over. Um, not, I think the feasibility study found that not all of it, you couldn't do it to all of it because there's some part of it that Amtrak operates 24-7 that it just wouldn't work. Um, but it's a tremendous amount of space. It's also kind of oddly shaped. 
Mm -hmm. um, and it surrounds neighborhoods with very different characteristics. You know, there's Long Island City, there's Sunnyside. I mean, so there's going to be a master plan released for this, and we'll see, but it has the potential to be, um, like Sally said, a whole new neighborhood. A couple of things on this. One, so there's obviously Hudson Yards. They, this is also a little bit similar to Atlantic Yards, right? I mean, this is yeah. the, this is the yeah. idea of using using this type of land. But um, two, two things, and I don't know the answer to this, so f forgive me if, if, uh, if you don't either, but the mayor announced something on this in, like, his second State of the City speech or his yes. first State of the City speech, and the governor and Amtrak quickly basically said, no, 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 we're not doing that. What, what is something changed? Well, Amtrak seems to be on board, at least with the planning process. They gave, like, a pretty supportive quote. Um, the, the chair of the board of Amtrak, Tony Kosha, is co-chairing the steering committee, or at least is on the steering committee. So Amtrak actually seems to be, you know, and they own most of it. I think they own 140 of the 180 acres. Um, but you're right, the governor, I think it was in 2015 that the mayor teased this out in a state of the city speech and the governor kind of immediately panned that the night, idea. Yeah. Like that, like an hour later, it's like, no, no. While the mayor was still speaking. Yeah, yeah exactly. And now uh, the MTA is not commenting. Jano Lieber of the MTA is on this steering committee. But I think, you know, if this happens, if they move forward, well, these two politicians are enough. Governor Cuomo wins his reelection and these two politicians are still in office. I think it will be just another thing they fight over. You don't say. Um, <laughs> That's my prediction. The, yeah, that's bold. Um, the General uh, Lieber, by the way, uh, former What's the Data Point podcast guest. Um, oh. You can find his his episode. Um, but uh, the local council member is Jimmy Van Bramer, mm -hmm. right? And he has expressed major concerns oh, yeah. about this, right? I don't want a whole new city within my district or something along those lines. Yeah. So he has to be convinced or... Maybe this moves so slowly that he's already out of office, although he's running for Queensborough president, so he could continue to... Um, yeah, but he's representing the concerns, I would assume, of his constituents, and sure. so will the person who holds right. that council seat after him. Right. You know, that's sort of the standard position to take. And, I mean, it is almost unheard of for a project like this to come into somebody's district, as we said. I mean, the right. size would be immense, and you'd, I mean, you'd almost have to factor this into redrawing the districts when that comes around because it's of huge, the, yeah. the population. It's creative. Uh, you sure. know, it's a creative project, but well, it is massive. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, we talk about Hudson Yards, you know, and this was something where, I guess, de Blasio for five minutes got a little bit of credit back in 2015, maybe when he was bringing into the state of the city. It's it's the type of transformational project that people have sort of been longing for from this mayor. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't you know. get nearly as much attention and um, coverage as, I don't know, like BQX or ferries. <laughs> right. 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 And th right, this would be this right. would be really seismic. Um, and I guess that also just makes me think what you said about being in office. You know, it is fascinating that the mayor has this twelve year housing plan when at most, he'll serve eight years, and so it'll be very interesting to see what the proposals are next time around for changing it, tweaking it, scrapping it, whatever. Mm -hmm. We don't need to worry about that. So too I, much. Do, I guess <laughs> I do want to give a little bit of credit here in terms of something new, where you know he is trying with this program on the basements, this pilot program oh, yeah, to yeah, say yeah. like, you know what, we're going to try to bring these units on, and I think that's the kind of thinking that will really help on the margins with, with this problem too, especially for those who are extremely low income. And to go back to the conversation about. Bloomberg, de Blasio's similarities, differences, you know, I think the the current administration would also point out in terms of the rent-regulated apartments that they are trying to do more about enforcement, uh, 
you know, making sure, for instance, that 421A applications are being followed through on. Mm-hmm. They're providing, obviously, the lawyers for to prevent eviction. So mm-hmm. they're, you know, they have sort of a more maybe comprehensive plan to both try to spur more affordable housing, but then also protect what is currently existing. And mm-hmm. I know, I don't know if we'll have time, but that also gets back to state rent regulations. And you had a story, and if we don't get to it, folks can just find your story about Cynthia Nixon oh. and her campaign platform on rent regulations and the governor's pushback and all that. But the larger, the larger de Blasio affordable housing plan um, is very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, what what kind of numbers are we talking in terms of the total cost and how does it sort of break down? I mean, how should folks so, think about the budgeting of that? So the cost, you know, it's it's a little bit hard to track it directly in the budget because the capital, the 10-year capital plan uh, isn't, as we were discussing earlier, it's not out yet. It'll be out next year. So the older one from two years or from a year and a half ago doesn't reflect these changes yet. The four-year capital plan does. All that to say, it's not like... Um, it's not like one number in a budget that you can point to. My understanding from information I've gotten from the Office of Management and Budget is that the plan itself, private investment and everything, is $82.6 billion. The city capital budget will pay $13.5 billion. And then there's some extra money where, you know, there's um, there's bond cap that the city issues. The city council gives some money. Um, there's also, like, forgiven revenue like 421A, but I believe the city capital portion of it is $13.5 billion over 12 years. And that is what the city's putting towards its capital plan, and the rest of the 83, 82.6 comes from, that's including private investment? Oh, yeah. yeah that's very, yeah. And it's including some federal dollars and some state dollars, or not? You know, I'm, I don't think so. Do you know, Maria? Very I'm little, not, I think, in state. So. I mean, it's a lot of private investment that right. goes into these, so... The, you know, that's a big chunk of it. And right. But, you know, like Sally's saying, for something that is so central to the mayor's agenda, right, they announce these updates, they give you some information in a press release, but there's nothing, you know, there's no report that you can go download and sort of no. spend the time chewing the numbers and thinking about it and, you know, really unpacking their strategy. Also, there, there isn't really data on kind of what the per unit cost of this is, right? Where do they end up? How much is it costing taxpayers to bring these units online? So there is a lot of information lacking when it comes to this, even though there are significant city dollars attached. Yeah, it wasn't even getting the $13.5 billion, If I remember correctly, it wasn't that easy for me to get it. Like, you know, it mm-hmm. took a little while. <laughs> Yeah. Sounds sounds uh, about right for, <laughs> for trying to wrangle information from this administration. Um, so we talked about the fact that the four rezonings that have gone through, or we sort of alluded to it, and we've done something on this at Gotham Gazette and other publications have too, but the four that have come through are in lower-income communities, mm-hmm. communities of color. Um, there are questions about, you know, sort of doing these types of rezonings in wealthier communities that don't want more density, Um, The mayor has sort of said, oh, we've gone, and his officials, and we've talked about this on this podcast with some, you know, we've gone where there is both opportunity for, you know, with space, but also the local council members who are interested, maybe. Um, And then, but we do see, you know, someone like Brad Lander and Gowanus, you know, coming forward with looking pretty um, interested in that rezoning and and questions around some of these others. But this sort of relates to um, the issue of fair housing, and Mm -hmm. you had another really good piece on Thank this. Thank you. Um, 
explain a little bit, you know, sort of what you looked at and your conclusions on, on fair housing in, in New York City, what, 50 years? Yeah, after? so the Fair Housing Act was signed, uh, you know, 50 years ago. As, um, and at the time, it was intended to prohibit any kind of racial discrimination in accessing housing, whether it's getting, you know, financing for a mortgage or just renting an apartment. Um, but the issue in New York, while that, you know, some of that is still an issue here, I think it's morphed into sort of an access to opportunity issue. New York is deeply segregated. And what we found with my colleague Brendan Cheney, who's a data expert, uh, we looked at the, I believe it was like 86,000 units that this administration has financed. And we looked at how many of them are in neighborhoods that are predominantly black and Hispanic. And it was roughly three quarters of the units that are, and it was the same rate, by the way, for new and preserved. It was roughly three quarters of the units are in neighborhoods that are majority black and Hispanic. And so because there's a correlation between income and cost of housing um, and race, we concluded that you know this is not an integration policy. Um, if that makes sense. Yep. So like they're sort of furthering the segregated city with their housing plan. And the folks that we talked to, you know, we talked to HPD, we talked to the former housing commissioner um, who spoke at length about it. And I think what it comes down to is um, some of what you said that, you know, they're looking at neighborhoods that have opportunity for growth, but also land costs that aren't extremely high and transportation. They weren't crafting these plans with fair housing in mind. Um, I don't think, to be fair, any major city is, has a good, or not even good, just has a thorough fair housing plan. And so the actually the Obama administration had required cities to come up with a plan to show they are affirmatively furthering fair housing. And the Trump administration said, no, you don't have to do that. So that's kind of where that stands. But the de Blasio administration said we're going to do Said they're going to voluntarily yeah, do it. We'll yeah, we'll see that. Yeah, I mean, you know, and yeah, they definitely put their hand up and said they want to do it anyway. But the, you know, the record, the first four years uh, that we can look at shows there really wasn't any, there certainly wasn't any active effort to do uh, an integration policy in their housing plan. And this is not to say they're in violation of any federal no, law. No, not at this all. This is more about the spirit and yeah. how the notion of barring discrimination is one thing, but then actively pursuing integrated housing is a very different thing. That's right, because you do limit access to better schools, to better parks, to, you know, all sorts of resources that are in, you know, the area where they want to build 80 Flatbush, as I mentioned, like that's an area that, you know, could be integrated. So we're in our last couple minutes here with Sally Goldenberg of Political New York. Um, just want to touch on maybe one or two more topics with you. Um, the mayor recently gave his executive budget proposal and presentation, um, and you know he was outlining that the city economy is continuing to hum along pretty well. There has been some slowing in job growth, but there's still job growth. Mm -hmm. um, but you you know sort of track one metric on this in your in your beat, and and that's real estate transactions and what is what does that look like does that tell us anything about sort of the general health of what's happening in the city well all I could say really is that the first quarter of this year the market reports that came out showed a slowing in transactions 
Um, so, you know, prices are about the same. I mean, different reports show different things. But I think prices are, like, relatively steady. But the volume of transactions is down for the first quarter of the year. Um, so I guess we'll see what the next quarter shows to see, if, like, whether that trend continues. Um, but there's definitely a softening of people buying homes. Mm -hmm. And that can tell us that... The, that there's that well, maybe a lead indicator for yeah. something. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone knows yet, right? Yeah. If the expansion is ending or when. I think there's, you could probably speak better to this than I could. I think there's concern that it will end, but I don't know that people know. Yeah, well, you know, it affects the transfer taxes for the city, which are a couple billion dollars, maybe the mortgage recording tax as well, though less for the high end stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the property tax, though, continue, you know, remains strong, right? Because the market values are now over a trillion dollars. Right. And they have a pipeline of growth that's being phased in. So that continues to be strong for the city. But I think, yes, on some of the economically sensitive stuff, and actually on the business taxes, the city is not seeing, you know, big pop-ups in growth. Um, it's really just been a little bit on the personal income tax in the last few years. Um, but what you know? What about the property tax? Right? We keep waiting yeah. for this commission. Where is the property tax commission? Do you? <laughs> I don't have. The mayor said it. again this morning yes, that it's soon, it's soon, soon quote unquote soon. soon. It's soon. I know yeah. that's become the buzzword. <laughs> um, you know, I suspect he. Uh, my guess, and it's really just a guess, would be that he would want to assemble a commission and say kind of affirmatively on his own, we're looking at this inequitable property tax system before a judge orders him to do so. The entire system is in court right now, or, you know, the, is the subject of a lawsuit that's going through court right now that I, I think Citizens Budget Commission is uh, part of. And so, I mean, I would imagine the mayor wants to take some sort of action, even if it's just saying here are the members of a commission who are going to study this before a judge says you need to you overhaul to this something. whole thing. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, the However, it hasn't happened yet. No. Right. No. And the changes would need to, you know, require changes in state law mm -hmm. to do this. So actually, this is one area where it makes sense for the governor and the mayor to get together and put their heads together and get some people, you know, working on, um, on a constructive solution here because, you know, there w will be winners and losers. The system right now is biased in favor of you know, small homeowners, uh, co-op and condo owners, um, against commercial and rental buildings. Mm -hmm. And as we just said, you know, the, the, we need more rental housing here in the city and the property tax system does not help us do that. I think we'll leave it there. Um, there, like I said, uh, you are covering um, some of the debates that are happening with state level stuff and how it's playing into the governor's race, but we'll let folks find your recent work on that and maybe we'll have you back to either follow up on the property tax reform plans if they ever move forward or, uh, or some of those other matters. But Sally Goldenberg, thanks for joining us. Thank, Thank you. Thanks so much. And everyone read the newsletter. Thank you. Bye.